Get ready to challenge conventional beliefs about what's possible in creating health, wealth, and happiness. You are listening to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge. This hit show is providing you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. It is time to open and expand your awareness, accelerate your well-being as Megan shares wisdom, teachings, and experience from a lifelong journey of the heart. Enact the power of radical change with ease and lift your desires to a new perspective. Now, here's Playing on the Edge Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Playing on the Edge. I'm Megan Edge, your host with my fabulous co-host, Dr. Pat. Hi, Pat. How are you today? We have a great show. I'm really excited about this show. Me too. This is our part two from the show that we did last month on blaming. Today, we're going to be focusing and looking at shaming. It's a big one. It is a big one. And, you know, let's talk for a minute because you and I talked about why this is important. And, you know, it's important for a lot of reasons anyway, but we are all on a very tightened, stretching the rubber band as wide as we can stretch it. We know it's quite tense. We see it fraying a little bit. And the stuff that comes out of our mouth and some of the things we're doing right now, we wish we could take back. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And yes, there's lots of layers and lots of levels to all of it. Um, For me personally, the reason that I really wanted to focus in on these two areas of our experience, blaming and shaming, is in part to do with what's happening out in the world right now with the epidemic, pandemic, whatever we're calling it at this point. Right from the beginning, shame was something that reared its ugly head right from the get-go when we didn't even know or understand what was going on, what was going to be asked of us, how we were to behave properly, all of those things. And then it's also something that's dear to my heart because of the work that I do. And when I'm working with clients or students, shame is a constant companion for the underlying reasons why people come and see someone like myself for counseling and energy healing. It, it is like an underpinning. Yeah. And it's so deep and it starts so young and often, in fact, most of the time, I would say most people don't even realize that they're participating in shame, that they're carrying shame. They don't really have a language for it. And so that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And, you know, Megan, let's talk about for a minute, the fact that there may be something going on and on the external and from the external environment, we don't know that we are showing up in that way, or we don't know that other people are affected by how we're showing up. And I think that's the, that's the insidious nature of both blame and especially shame, right? Yes, absolutely. It's such a part of how we communicate with each other. It's, it's so ingrained in our interactions with one another that we don't even realize that we're doing it. And, and as I said, you know, it starts when, when we're very young, our parents are simply parenting us the way that they've been taught to parent. And quite often shaming is the way that we teach our children how to behave properly. It's that powerful and it's that subtle. And so while we can look at shame and say, I can see where they're shaming, I can see it really evidently over here. There's also lots of places in our day-to-day life where we don't see it. And it's in shedding the light on it that we can start to work with it and really ask 
some serious questions and important questions about the value of shaming as a control mechanism, as a behavior mechanism, and look at different ways that we could perhaps show up in the world, not carrying that backpack full of shame. Yeah. And let's give a, give everybody an update on sort of the origins of shame, because you, people may realize this, but then again, they may not realize this, that the origins of shame go way back, especially if we're talking biblical stories. Yes, absolutely. And I think that probably every major religion has some kind of a shame story. The one that is most evident in Western culture from a Christian or biblical background is the story of Adam and Eve. And that's got to be the quintessential shame story. You've got two people, according to the the traditional story, who are living in paradise, who are naked in front of one another and, and are completely okay with that. That's just the normal for them. And then Eve decides she wants to know more things. She, she has that conversation with the snake and the snake says, here's the tree of knowledge. If you eat from the tree of knowledge and if you convince Adam to do the same thing, you'll know so much more. And then the story goes on to say that what they end up knowing is that they are naked and they feel shame about that. That story has underpinned expectation of women ever since yeah it has created laws and rules and restrictions and guilt and women have the one been the ones to carry the burden of that story and i think it's time that we disassemble that story i think yeah. that's be one of the really powerful ways that we can heal and treat shame is by really looking at where it comes from Isn't it one of these stories where even though we don't wake up and we say, oh, that's the story, it just has been embedded in our DNA for thousands of years? Yeah, it it has. And it's ambient. And I think because it's so familiar, we often don't even think to question it. And and our culture is rife with sexual shame and well all kinds of things around that that's that could be a whole series of shows. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know I, I believe it comes from that story and and it's interesting that when we look at that story from an anthropological and archaeological standpoint what we actually see is that that story represents when the goddess religions became overrun or taken over by the single male patriarchal religions and there's a, there's a lot of evidence to that. When you and I have spoken about this a few times. Yeah. In those, it, it really is that story of that event, not the event of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden finding shame. It's really that the shame of it is that, that women's position and role in society as equal to men was destroyed. And we've been paying for it ever since. Both men and women have been paying for it ever since. And, you know, most of the time we don't really look at how shame is affecting everything we do and how we move and navigate our lives. Um, Let's talk about that for a minute, because shame is one of these things that stays so hidden and so secretive at some level. And yet... The opposite side of that is when we talk about trauma, when we talk about sex and change and shame, when we talk about abuse and rape and all sorts of ways that have to do with sex. And this is not just this is for men and women. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. we're talking about, you know, shame that could come up from 
uh, everyday societal impact. Somebody says to you, you look fat in that. Mm-hmm. And you hear it every day of your life. And it doesn't matter what you put on. That's what you hear. The other part of it, in, and these are two extremes, right? This is over here in chit chat every day, a comment. And over here is, OMG, I am suffering the shock and trauma of something that was done to me. And I don't know where to go. Yeah. Yeah, there are absolutely levels of shame. And there are what I call casual shame. And then there's what I call deep shame. And, and you, you've hit it. The, the deep shame is the shame that comes from the trauma of our own identities coming under attack. And that's what happens in rape or sexual assault or abuse, whether it's a single event or it's multiple events in a person's lifetime. It eats away at our sense of self. And then what our culture does is it misdirects the shame and puts the shame on the victim. And in, in no other crime besides rape does that happen to such mm-hmm. an extent that it does. You know, if somebody breaks into my house, the first question isn't going to be, what did you do wrong? What did you do to invite that person to come into your house and steal your stuff? That's not going to be the first question. But that is the first question that gets asked of a person who has, ex- who has experienced rape or sexual assault, right? The conversation that I want to have for people who, who, for whom that has been their experience is first to say that shame is not yours. You can re-aim the shame. In fact, we, we came up with, with these three ways of, of working with shame that we're going to be sharing today. And the one is the re-aim, one is the reframe, and the other is the reclaim. And, and I want to share an example, and this is very personal. Yeah. And I want to let people know that it is, it's not going to be explicit, but it is a personal experience about my own um, having been raped when I was young. So please, if this is a trigger for you, either step away or take a deep breath and just remember this is my story and and not yours. Okay. Um, But when I was 15, I did experience what is called a gang rape. And when I became a young adult after, after struggling with that and working with that and understand, trying to understand what happened, um, I, I became a, a student of women's studies and social work when I was in university. And I was doing a lot of my own work around healing this, this piece of my life, this experience that I had. And one of the things that I was very aware of, especially when I was in group therapy with other people who had experienced these sorts of things, I wasn't carrying shame. That hadn't become my experience. What I was carrying was anger and a desire to return something that had been taken from me. So I, I created this, this celebration or this ceremony with some of my girlfriends. And, and basically the essence of it was that we shared our story in circle. We understood that the shame belonged to the perpetrators and not to us. And so as a way of giving that back, we made penises out of clay. <laughs> We took them and we we ran a bubble bath and we put all kinds of beautiful oils and bubbles and unctions and things. We made it very, very feminine, very nourishing. And we placed our clay penises in the bath water. And then we went off and had a sleepover and just had fun. And we came back the next morning and we let the water out and the clay had dissolved. Yeah. Right. And in that moment, we really felt like we had given back that energy of the shame to the people who needed to do their work on it because the shame is theirs. It wasn't, wasn't ours. It was incredibly empowering. And it's a story that I've shared with many of my clients who have similar experiences as a way to demonstrate that we don't have to carry the shame. It's not ours. 
And, it, and in giving it back, we reclaim yeah. what is ours yeah. and what our sense of ourself is. I think one of the greatest gifts we might contribute to people, and if you have been in a situation like Megan, and Megan, thank you for sharing a very personal story. What we're finding now that uh, that particular story and stories like what you shared are happening more frequently than ever in the history of our time. Um, We're also finding that because of COVID-19, because in the United States, of the laws that were enforced about uh, people that are coming in from other countries, there is so much abuse going on because they cannot be reported. And so this is, this is a truth. This is a real thing. Um, what was it that helped you speak about it? Because one of the hardest things for people to do about shame mm-hmm. is to speak about it. Yeah. Well, I think I have an internal rebel. I know I have an internal rebel. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, anytime someone says to me, it's like this, my first response is, are you sure? Right? So the first time someone tried to make me feel ashamed of what I had experienced, I turned it around. And I where that comes from, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I have that capacity and maybe somebody else doesn't. It could be upbringing. It could be the stories of my child. It could just be who I am. It could be what I'm here to do and to offer other people is the demonstration of this possibility. I decided I wasn't going to own that piece of that experience. I made a conscious decision at a very early age to say, no, thank you. That belongs to those men. That's their shame, not mine. They're the ones who misbehaved. They're the ones who did something wrong. And I sent it back to them. I just, I knew to do that. Yeah. I just knew to do that. And I, and anyone who's listening, I encourage you to do the same thing. Send it back to them. I have tools and techniques. I have ways that I help people to do this, to return that energy that isn't theirs. And and what I see in the shame piece of this is that, when my clients give back that other person's shame that they've been carrying, it's like weight drops off their shoulders and their whole sense of self opens up. And then they can start to get really clear on what is theirs, what does yeah. belong to them, yeah. and what can they do with that. And for me, what I did with it was to decide that I wasn't going to let that event define me, describe me, it wasn't going to become a part of my identity. I was going to use that event to learn how I could help other people, especially women, go from feeling like a victim and being in shame to knowing that they were a survivor. So I gave the event meaning and purpose. I reframed the shame. It's very powerful. It's so powerful when you can do that. And, you know, we're going to take a short break, Megan. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the language of shame. Because for folks that may be listening, they may be thinking, well, well, I'm not really experiencing that. So let's just talk about this for a moment. And as we go out to break, Jacob's going to be playing one of my favorite songs, Rebel Rebel by David Bowie. And what was that song about? Well, well, look, not sure if you're a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. Hey, babe, your hair straight. Hey, let's stay. So 
even then, we were talking about cultural stigmas on shame. Where are we today? What is the language we're using? Do we even know if we are hurting anyone? And thank you all for binary as a new term. We're going to take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are taking on today, uh, of course, this is uh, Playing on the Edge with Megan Edge. And we are talking about On the Edge of Blame and Shame. And this is part two. You know, we talked about blame earlier. Today, we're taking on the not just the energy of shame, but the language of shame, the behavior of shame, the consequences of shame, the impact of shame. Before we keep going forward here, because we're going to be talking about language here. Mm-hmm. Um, how do people find out about the work you do, and especially the work you do with women, you know, to really move beyond this place? Uh, well, absolutely. Well, you can certainly find me at my website, which is meganedge.ca. Um, you can email me at meganedge.ca. You can find me on LinkedIn at Megan Edge Healing. I've got loads of videos of talks that I've given, of shows that we've done. All of our Playing on the Edge shows are there. This is our 39th show. Can you believe that, Pat? Oh my yeah. <laughs> I know. I love it. Um, uh, I've got lots of resources there. You can you can have a get a really good sense of who I am and how I show up in the world. And if I'm a fit for the kind of work that you're looking to do, potentially, you can also find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. I'm under Megan Edge Healing in all of those platforms. So I look forward to connecting with you there. And let's start out with language. Uh, David Bowie, of course, in Rebel Rebel, you know, many people are asking, was it a song about how one calls themselves, classifies themselves, talks about themselves Mm -hmm. regarding their sexuality? Um, Taylor Mason has brought the entire lens and eye uh, on what we call non-binary and non-binary. And it's an interesting term. Because why? Because if you grow up in a stigma-based society with labeling that comes through on who you are and how you are and the language you use and what you're called, and you go through a life of that, and we're going to talk about some of those terms today. Megan's going to walk us through some of the terms, whether you're a man or woman. But interestingly, in the LGBTQ community, you know, what you're looking at is this new term. And it came to light in a really hit show, Billions, and Taylor Mason, of course. Uh, and you got introduced into this language uh, about this character, Taylor Mason, played by the non-binary actor, Asia Kate Dillon. Now, you all can look that up. But why is this even important? Well, some people get tired of shame, Megan. Yeah, shame is kind of boring after a while. <laughs> no, and I don't mean to make light of it. But it is it is to say that honestly, if if you know, and we've all been shamed, people have tried to shame us. Every single one of us at some point in our life, someone for some reason has tried to give us their shame. And we can either accept it and make it true for ourselves, or we can decide that that's not us which is where I think it is really important and very empowering for people to have identifiers, like being able to say, well, I'm non-binary. I'm, I'm, I'm not that thing that you're trying to pigeonhole me into or that you're trying to make me out to be. Instead, I'm going to claim my identity. And when, when I can claim my identity, 
then someone trying to put their shame on me, it's like water off a duck's back. You can call me whatever you want, but it's not going to land for me unless there's a part of my psyche or my identity that also believes that that's true. You know, it's, it's the whole thing about name calling. When I was a, a young girl in school, there wasn't a lot of name calling that I remember, to be honest. Maybe I was fortunate, I don't know, or maybe I just wasn't aware of it. But I do remember the, the term faggot. That was one that people were using a lot. And somebody called me that for some reason at one point. And I remember coming back to them and saying, you know what that is? It's a piece of wood. <laughs> in, in English from Britain, when you go to the forest, you gather faggots, you're gathering pieces of wood for your fire, right? That was my comeback. <laughs> and it's that kind of, again, like that reclaiming, that reframing, that re-aiming of, well, what, is, what are the words that people are trying to cut you down with? Because words are very important. Words have power. That whole thing, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, sticks and stones will leave bruises that will heal. Yeah. Words, on the other hand, they can stay with you for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And that really is why we're talking about shame, because it's not only insidious, it's rampant. And it's done. It's done across cultures. You know, what we call people that are not like us, it is a hideous reflection of humanity. Mm -hmm. And whether we do it under our breath or whether we do it in a tweet or whether we do it in some sort of gesture in a group about another person, mm -hmm. it hurts. Yeah. And that's really the underpinnings of shame. It hits people at the core essence of their value. Yeah. And, you know, the reason you and I are talking about it is both of us are rebels. Both of us have been called things. Um, and I, I used to really think about that. There was a point in my time in my life where nothing I, I was the what do you call it? Uh the uh what do they call it when you know things slide right off of you right Slippery. you know <laughs> well i was that thing i was that frying pan that even mm -hmm. the worst burnt thing couldn't stick to teflon teflon there you go <laughs> but you know when we're thinking about this there are more portals in the world today to shame another person than we've ever had this is not like 20 30 years ago this is different it is different. And the consequence of that and the effect of that are far reaching and really devastating, really devastating. Young people, so, you know, teenagers, young adults, that's that's the time in one's life where shame really does stick. It really can stick because young people are still figuring out their identity. Their brains are still evolving. Their hormones are still evolving. They're trying to fit in. They're learning the ropes of their community, of their culture, of their family. They're learning what is right and wrong, what the moral code is, and what they need to do and have to do in order to be normal and fit in. That's a really vulnerable time. So it's, in, it's really in that time frame, that time period where those words, those name calling, that shaming is so potent and so powerful. And we've seen the consequences of that. We've seen a rise in suicide around young, especially young women, uh, you know, it's interesting when I was doing my research for this, I came across yeah. some, some interesting information about the, um, the number, the percentage of men versus women or women versus men who go and seek therapy as they become adults. 
And I was actually quite impressed with the number. 60% of depressed men do seek help. That's a really big number. I thought it would be a lot less than that. Yeah. 72% of women seek help. But here's what they're seeking when it comes to healing shame. Women are, are generally healing a sense of not being good enough and having been shamed for that, for how they look or how they think or how they feel. And men are generally shamed for not doing enough. So being enough and doing enough, they're different. They're different. And so men and women do experience shame differently. And the way that we talk to each other is different. Right? The, and how, how yeah. we interact with social media is different. And we've got this whole shaming culture now that anyone can jump in on. And there's an anonymity to it that actually makes it safer to be the shamer than I think it's ever been. Because you don't have to stand in your, your shaming of somebody else. You can do it behind the scenes, not and not be accountable for it. And that's insidious, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, this is really, many books have been written. A friend of mine has written a powerful book but over a decade ago about the power of words and words being powerful. Um, we talk about it as words being powerful in our life in a positive way, but we don't really talk about and know how to address the language we use. And it starts young. And let's yes. just say that it starts young, but now there is more access to media across the board. I was sitting there last night and I it was daunting for me because I realized, why do I even have this television service when I don't really watch that? I got four or five apps that I go through. And then what I realized is, well, wait a minute, the language has changed. We are now talking about things more openly. You know, one of the greatest television shows to really shine a light on this has been one of the longest running telling show, te television series shows in the United States. So popular that they're bringing a character from like 15 years ago back. And when it first came out, everybody thought it was too over the top. Nobody will watch Law and Order SVU Spe Special Victims Unit. Mm. Nobody will watch a show where police are fighting for people that have been abused. Mm -hmm. They were so wrong. Yeah. Fast forward to where we are today is one of the most popular, highly rated shows. Um, it takes on issues of our time. And yet we're living in an age, Megan, right now, where college rapes, date rapes are at their highest. And I really hope that somehow in the work you do and the messages that we bring forward, whether you're a man or a woman, you come forward. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's the whole Me Too movement, right? And, and what was so beautiful and is still beautiful about the Me Too mo movement is that it was a beautiful and is a beautiful example of the re-aiming of shame, calling out the perpetrator and saying that is not okay. And that boys club that you're in, that is not okay either. There is some accountability that needs to happen here. And I, I do believe that men and women are having different kinds of conversations than we were having 10 years ago around all of this. I thought it was really interesting 
how men started to show up in the Me Too movement to say, yeah, me, me too. I was raped as a small child or I was molested as a, as a young adult or I have experienced sexual abuse. And it was really interesting to watch that dynamic between women who were coming forward to say, I'm no longer going to stand in shame and be quiet about this. I'm no longer going to let this be an internal experience that I'm having. I'm going to make it external and I'm going to tell you about it. And you can do whatever, whatever you like with that. And then, and then to have men show up in that as well. And I would call them courageous men to show up and say, also me. Also, that was my experience. And as soon as one or two or three people start saying, hey, this happened to me, it gives permission and it gives courage for other people to step into that vulnerability and say, yes, and me as well. Yeah. So what yeah. are we going to do with that now? What are we going to do about it? And you know how much I love language. You and I have talked about language before. We yeah. About Yvonne and her beautiful work. It's, I work with this all the time with my students and my, and, my, um, and my clients and in my own life as well. What can we do to change the way we're telling our story, right? So that we're not the story. We are telling the story. Right. This is this is why I can talk about my experience of being gang raped at 15 and not and not feel like this. Like, you no, know, people who are here listening to us can't see what I just did. But basically, you know, like making myself small about it. I can stand at it and say, yes, this was my experience. They did that. It's on them. And I'm not triggered by that. You know, and it's why I can hold space when people come to me with their stories that are like that. And I can do that, that reframing, re-aiming, reclaiming work with them using that language. So whereas a child, you might've been told you should be ashamed of that. And the finger of shame is pointed at you as an adult, you can come back and say, really, should I be, you can, from an adult place, you can question that assumption that you should automatically be ashamed because somebody else has decided that you've stepped out of the norm or the expected behavior. Yeah. And, you know, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about how the language of shame turns into the impact of shame. And one of the things we're going to touch upon is when we're kind of born in this world and we have popped out, we don't pop out and say, oh, my God, I feel so ashamed I was born naked. We don't say that. We're like, oh, we don't think that we're little teeny babies. And here we are. And we know one thing. Right. But. What happens over time? You know, what if our parents would have realized that some of the things they said to us and some of the direction we got and some of the actions that were taken would really limit somebody's ability to shine in the world? When we come back, you know, it's going to be a conversation of it is a shame we do shame, but, but. You can do something about it and you can do it now. Let's take a short break, everybody. We will be right back. Get empowered on transformationtalkradio.com. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We're talking about shame today, playing on the edge with Megan Edge. And of course, this is a body of work that not only Megan is doing because she knows. She knows the impact of it, but she also knows how to help you heal. Uh, Megan, what is the best way for people to find out about you and work well, with you? 
yeah, the best way is to head over to my website, which is meganedge.ca. There's all sorts of information resources on there, um, different services that I offer, different certification courses that I offer, and online programs, all of which is to help people, help empower people. It's my whole life purpose is to help people see their worth and value so they can shine. Yeah. This is what you said before the break, Pat. To me, this is so important. It's such important work. We came, we come into this world. Yes, we come in naked. We come in probably crying. <laughs> we did, maybe we didn't want to leave where we were before. But we come in, we come into this world to be creative beings. We come in this world to be human beings. And, and that comes with a whole host of challenges, right? Why do things happen to us? Why do, do these events happen to us in our lives that give us these experiences? Well, I think part of why these things come into our lives is so that we can be creative in what we then choose to do with these experiences, right? Just because someone has shamed you doesn't mean that you are that shame that they have given to you. I really want that to land for some people. I really, I'd love it to land for everybody. Yeah. You know, there's, we, when we looked at, at blaming last time, last month, and then we're looking at shaming this time, there's that word guilt that also shows up. And looking at what is the difference? What are these words that we're working with? What is the difference between them? Blaming is something we do to someone else or someone else does to us. And it might elicit a feeling of shame, depending on what it is that the blaming is all about. The shame is an internal experience. It's our internal reality. And then the guilt is, is our external reality. And the difference between guilt and shame is that generally with guilt, we can find strategies and seek solutions to solve the feeling of guilt that we might have by taking an action, by saying we're sorry or making amends or whatever it is that we, we do. There's something we can do about that. Shame is different because there's so many layers to it as we've been talking about today. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a different, there's different actions that we can take, but ultimately we have to decide we're done with the shame before we can clear the shame. Yeah. Megan, I want to talk about that. You know, some people in the circles that I hang out in uh, and the women I work with, they call that a bottom. A bottom? Uh, they say, okay, you finally hit a bottom. Oh, you hit finally bottom. hit the place mm -hmm. where you realize you cannot go further down. You are completely uncomfortable where you are and something's got to change. Yeah. You know, there's a line that you put in the sand. Some people use that expression, but there's something that you're going to do. Now, not everybody has to hit rock bottom to do that no. because there, there are degrees of discomfort. Yeah. And the moment that we speak up and we say something in, in, in stand for ourselves, mm -hmm. that is a point of freedom. Can you talk about the liberating actions that people take. And some people say, eh, don't worry about it. Let it roll off your back. Well, you know, that works sometimes. That doesn't work all the time. It doesn't work all the time because if there's a story that's deeply embedded in the psyche of the individual that is looking for validation of itself, that individual will be constantly seeking out experiences that validate whatever the shame is. The I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve, I'm broken. I'm damaged goods because of the things that have happened to me. No one will love me. All of that. That 
it, it's one thing to say, well, just let it, don't, don't worry about it, but oh, okay, worry about it if it's something that actually makes sense to you. But as you've, as you've identified, we, we, I think inevitably, at least in, in, in one lifetime or the next, we're going to get to a point where we decide consciously, I don't want to be that story any longer. I want to look at my identity and I want to decide for myself who I am and who I'm going to be. And I want to unpack all of that stuff that I've been carrying around with me. And that's, that's the work that you would do with a qualified counselor or therapist or intuitive counselor. You know, this is, this is the work you would do with a coach, with somebody to help you do that work. Right. Because it is easy to slip back into the story, especially if you're in a situation where that tension is there. And despite all the good self-talk you're doing to yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror in the morning and telling yourself how beautiful you are and how much you love yourself, you've got somebody over here saying, you are not. <laughs> <laughs> no and you kidding. Can't get away from them because we're stuck inside right now or we're stuck with our small bubbles right now. It is a critical time right now for us to really take that courageous step to question the assumptions that we are living with about our value and our worth. And that questioning is that place of, is this true? Right? This is the work that I do around limiting beliefs. I have a whole program around limiting, releasing our limiting beliefs and seeing what our limitless beliefs are. In releasing our limiting beliefs, first of all, we have to figure out what they are, or we have to invite, I, what, I, what I encourage my, the process is to invite the awareness of what the limiting belief is in the first place. And that can be painful. That can be a painful process to acknowledge it. And then the next step is to say, is this true? Is it true that I'm damaged goods because I was raped or I was abused yeah. or I was in a dysfunctional relationship? Right. Is it true that I'm not good with money because I went bankrupt? Right. 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 Is it true? And what we're looking for is the answer that comes back. No, it's not true it's not true then you can start to climb that ladder out of the story and into the light of your authentic self and you can do it you can do it it can be healed i don't you know i say this carefully i don't care how deep your trauma is and it's not that i don't care about your trauma i do i care about you but i don't care how deep it is we can treat it we can heal it together we can do that it can you it can be your experience <sighs> i want to talk about this for a little bit because you you know one of the things that i was told a bunch of years ago and i never understood it until the top this topic came up of shame in my life and that is the past sets no precedence for the present or the future and that took that was a mouthful and a mindful for me. The past sets no precedence for this moment you're in. Right. And yet shame is one of those energies. And it is an energy mm -hmm. that transcends time if we allow it to or can be cut off at the head yeah. if we know how. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's really deep. I mean, for some people, it's a lifetime of shame. Yeah. It's one event after another, then the reinforcement of it, mm -hmm. one after the other, after the other, after the other. And sometimes don't we have to peel the layers back? 
Absolutely. And part of that peeling back of the layers is in the acknowledging of what it is. I remember years ago sitting in front of the fire um, up here at my cottage where I am right now. And I started thinking about all the things that I'd experienced. And I got out a piece of paper and I started writing them all down. And they just came. And I hadn't a conscious, I didn't have a conscious concept of how many traumas, big and small, mini traumas, big traumas, losses, grieves, abuses that I had experienced in my life. And now that might sound like a kind of a depressing thing to do to list them all out. But part of that process was in taking them from here in my body and placing them on a piece of paper and saying, wow, wow, that's a lot. Huh? How curious, how interesting. And then what I did as I stepped back from it and started to look at patterns. What was I calling into my life? What was I experiencing? Who were the people that I was having these experiences with? And I approached that from the position of, what if this is someone else's life that I'm looking at? How would I feel about them and towards them? And what I felt was so much compassion and love for this person who had had all these experiences and then remembered that that person was me. Wow. And in that moment, there was this healing piece of, wow, I'm not all these things. These are just things that have happened to me. And some are awful and some are casual and some are deep and some are passing. They're all, they're all the things that have happened to me, but they are not me. And that was a pivotal point of really putting down a lot of shame. I didn't even realize I was still carrying mm -hmm. at that point. And then looking at this as a way, as a method that I could teach other people to be able to do this wake up call work and say, and ask that really important question. Is it true? Right. You know, we're living in a time right now where um, I think that everybody is, let me just be kind about it is really on the edge, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And rightly so. Yeah. You know, we're living in times that we've never seen before. Alcohol consumption, online buying is up close to 600%. Mm -hmm. um, even David Bowie's song references the taking of drugs mm -hmm. in that song to really ease the pain of the shame. Uh, and yet today what we're talking about is how important it is if you want to feel the freedom of shameless. And, you know, that is a freedom, um, how to navigate in a COVID environment, how to navigate with getting on an elevator. And I don't know if you saw, I had my mask on before the show, because in order for us to function as a network and come to our studios, we have to take precautions. Mm -hmm. And to be in a closed building and get on an elevator and somebody walks in and just doesn't have a mask, you know, what a ticking bomb that is, right? And it's interesting the way people feel about it. And so here's just one situation where if you wear a mask, you could be shamed to take it off. Mm -hmm. If you don't wear a mask, you might be shamed to put it on. But this, and, and I mean, it's a shame thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we went to a wedding not long ago and, you know, Linda and I both know how 
No, it actually was long ago. It was long compared. If you're talking COVID time, it was long <laughs> enough to see what has happened in that state since that time. Right. But, you know, if you know you're a vulnerable person and you have to wear a mask, what would be the peer pressure to take it off? And I will tell you that peer pressure shame is one of the things we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. But yet there are two or three different standards. And you mentioned this earlier. Let's talk about the two different standards or the double standards, maybe there are more, but also the long-term consequences of these double standards and shaming behavior. Well, when we're looking at double standards, one of the things that we're referring to is the way, the different ways in which shame manifests in men and women and the expectations that our culture and our society has as to the behavior of men and women. And, and we're, we are held differently in terms of our expectation. The double standard also I think has to do with ageism as well. And and I think it's a double, double standard actually when you get to that, because even if as a woman you come into your adulthood, you're in your thirties to your fifties, you're feeling pretty strong about yourself, you're feeling really confident, then you start to age. And women and men age differently in our culture. It's okay for a man to age. And I know this this is old rhetoric, but it's it's still true more women go for plastic surgery as they age than men do, right? That confidence starts to erode again as we start to move into our, our, older, our older years with that because there is this intense expectation that we exist with. More to the point is what do we do with it? You know, how, how do we navigate that so that we still shine? We still have that feeling of, I'm a good person and the things I do matter and the things I say matter. And it's all of these techniques that we've been talking about as we've been having this conversation and looking at the language and looking at the stories and looking at what is ours and what isn't ours and what we can give back to the people who have given it to us in the first place. As we've been doing our our conversations around this, this show and looking at all the different research and looking at our own lives, I've, I've taken a different stance on the double standard thing. I feel like that's more of an illusion than anything else. And it, if we focus on that, it creates more division. And really what we need right now is less division. There's, yeah, it's, it, it's deep. <laughs> well, let me just talk to you about it because I yeah. think that where we are right now is we're in a place where I know people that work with men. Mm-hmm. I work with women. Mm-hmm. But I have friends that work with men. Um, and I will say I don't work with just women. Every once in a while, there'll be a referral and I'll work with, with uh, both men and women. Mm-hmm. But the, the way that shame comes up is so insidious that the person I'm talking with won't call it shame. Mm. Okay. So, right. Mm -hmm. It's, you're sitting here and you're hearing it and you could see the deep emotions and then you could see where the stalling is in life. Right. And this is really why for me, when I talk about shame, I will work with women and and there'll be some things I am not going to be able to address and I'll refer them. I'll refer them to you. Mm. Um, But this has to, this is we're at a breaking point with this now Mm 
-hmm. And I want to encourage women right now, when you do your personal inventory today, and even if you have a nanosecond where shame has come up, I will tell you that in the iceberg diagram, that's considered the tip. And there's a pathway to freedom. And that pathway to freedom is what Megan's talking about today. And, you know, this, this, this diverse, let's just call it distinction between men and women. It is now so deep. And then let's talk about women. Let's talk about women of color. Let's talk about brown women, black women. Let's talk about now the different versions of this. Let's talk about big women. Let's talk about small women. Let's talk about women from different SES, socioeconomic uh, statuses. Let's talk about that. This is not a one size fits all. And so the reason I'm saying this is Megan and I have experience in life that caused us at some point in life to stutter, to, I literally did stutter. Me too. Uh, to, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then we had to figure out how, what, what did the kid, why is the kid stuttering? Well, maybe you should ask me what went on in Catholic boarding school. We could have had that conversation. Um, but we are here now to help folks step in the pathway of freedom because shame will choke the life out of an abundant and a free life. It will just choke you and you won't know you're suffocating, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, this is where that self-acknowledgement, that, that, that taking stock, um, looking at how you're living your life, looking at your life experiences, seeing what still has an energetic and an emotional charge to it. And you can call it whatever you like. Maybe you call it a stigma. Maybe you call it shame. Maybe you call it something else. It's really less important what you call it than it is that you are willing to work with it and to change your relationship with it fundamentally and foundationally, right? That's the kind of work that you can do and you can start today. You can start right now by asking that question that I posed earlier, you, is this mine? Is this true? Or can I decide that I don't need it any longer and this is not who I am no matter what shape size color yeah. creed religion you're coming from yeah right yeah and I want to make another comment on this too um here's the thing I I don't know where you were I don't know how old you were when you had your epiphany I don't know where <laughs> you were in the timeline of like oh my god I'm experiencing shame I don't know where the timeline was I'd say mid-30s mid-30s okay yeah yeah I got it. I think I got it around there, but not until even later. So I, st I started to work with Dr. Juanita Lovett. And I think that's when I got a real sense of it. But I got a really early sense of it very young in two different areas. Um, here's what I want to say to people. You may not be getting it yet. You may be just like, I'm turning 50. Oh, but I, shame has no age. It is timeless. And I talk to more women than not that say to me, Megan, oh my God, I'm too old to have to deal with this now. Never too old. I know. Um, if you could live one day of your life without feeling any shame and you're 99 years old, isn't it worth it? So why yeah. wouldn't you do it now? Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do it now? 
um, is this a body of work? Talk about this. I know we got a few minutes left. Can you talk to folks on how the work that you're doing with women, how this encompasses this? Because this, we've done a bunch of shows on this. I know this is a seriously important issue to you. I know you're seeing a lot of things that you could help people with. How is this evolving for you in making it, you know, a cornerstone of the work that you do with women? For me, it's all about how quickly can we shift and change this thing that you've been carrying around for so long. So I'm always opening my mind up to different methods and techniques that I can use to help us get there, right? That does not involve the re-traumatizing, the retelling, the rehashing. It's more of the feeling-based work. How does it make you feel? Do you like the way it makes you feel? If you don't like the way it makes you feel, let's look at the feeling. Let's change the feeling and let's do it. I've seen miracle healings, Pat, with this kind of work, the way that I do it, the way that I show up for people in it. I have watched decades of shame fall away and the person step up in that brightness and their whole face changes. Years of shame fall away in the moment that a person decides to change their mind about it. And I know that sounds simple and I'm sure there are people out there saying, yes, but you don't know what my trauma is and you don't know what my story is. And you're right. I don't, but I know that it's energy and I know that it's feeling and I know how to work with them and I know how to help change them and we can do it. You know, we have moments when we work with people, Megan, um, I want to make sure before we run out of time, please tell folks how they can work with you, but also tell them about your book and some of the other things and tools that you've created for folks. Well, I love, I love tools. I love giving people tools that they can work with in between when they see me or after they're done seeing me. I love the tools and the techniques. Oracle cards are a beautiful tool. I have a wonderful deck called the Healing Heart, or the Heart's Journey, Healing Hearts, yeah. Hearts and Guidebook. Beautiful. It's all my story about actually coming to this place of releasing that shame and stepping into a new life using those hearts. I work with essential oils. I work with plant medicines. I work with energy healing. I've created such a body of work that is all about how we can make these shifts in our lives and how we can step into how we want to feel by stepping out of how we don't want to feel any longer. There's so much of it. And mm -hmm. that's, what it's, you know, go, go to my YouTube channel and look at all the things that are there, watch them, learn from them, see if it's a fit, reach out, just, just know that you're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. Shame can be very isolating, but don't, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't do that anymore. <laughs> There's nothing more isolating than shame. I want to end with this. I got a call from a woman I worked with a number of years ago, and she called me in the middle of a COVID crisis. And she called me and she said, Dr. Pat, I got to tell you something. I said, like, okay, are you okay? She says, I'm more than okay. She says, you know what I did? Something that you wanted me to do 10 years ago. I did it today. My husband has talked about my body and my weight and COVID and everything about me. And I felt awful. And I remember what an exercise you gave me 10 years ago that I could never do. She said, this morning, I woke up butt naked and I walked around my house from eight in the morning till noon when I had to go out. Love it. And I said, how'd that work for you? I can't wait to do it tomorrow. <laughs> okay don't everybody go walking around butt naked megan edge thank you so much for today i can hear the headlines now megan thank you so much for today jacob thank you and for all of you out there please take action and the shame game we'll see you next time 
You've been listening to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio and the Dr. Pat Show Network, providing you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. If you've missed any part of this episode or want to find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca.